why do you translate? You, you should better write a novel. And, and he says, you know, it gives me the pleasure to, to write a poem in my language that's so good. I could never do it on my own. Hi, this is Neha, and you're listening to Who Reads Poetry? So how is everyone? It snowed for the first time in Brooklyn today. Is it snowing where you are? I'm so curious. And I bet you're curious about this episode. Our guest today is Hans Bombs. Hans is based out of Frankfurt, Germany, and is co-editor of literary magazine Nayo Unschau, among other things. Nayo Unschau, the magazine has been around for over 100 years and has published the first works of poets like Rainer Maria Roque. In this episode, we take our time to talk about the joy of reading and translating poetry and language, the main ingredient of poetry. This episode is the first part of our conversation. I loved it. I hope you do too. And come back for seconds. Welcome, Hans. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're all the way in Frankfurt. Uh, what's happening around you right now? Right now it's getting dark. Uh, we have a little backyard and today I just was watching all the birds that came by. The best thing was a red-capped woodpecker who always patrols through the garden and sees what our old pear tree with a lot of moss on its bark is doing. So that was the <laughs> highlight of the day. <laughs> oh, um, I'm in Brooklyn. It's a big, it's, it's it's a bit of a fantastic day because it's very cold, but it's also very sunny. I have a feeling that um, this winter is going to be darker and harsher than the last two winters I've seen. And those are the only two winters I've seen. So I guess I'm going to have to read more poetry. And my only interaction with nature is that I walked over some really crunchy leaves today. So I feel like this is such a contrast to you having a garden and you having this kind of like somewhat intimate relationship with the woodpecker that you observe so much. Uh, it's fascinating. Um, do you feel like your backyard helps you with your writing? In a way, yes. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, translation in contrary to, to writing Translation is something that you can start right from the start on because you have a text and then you have to work on the text and try to pull it into another language. So uh, it's a bit like a meditation uh, for me. And, and the garden is a bit like the place to do it. That's wonderful. And I feel like I jumped the gun a little bit over there. Um, tell us a little bit more about your work. Uh, Basically, as a, as a reader, I was seduced by poetry to literature. So, so this was a bit my, my gateway truck. And, and for me always, but I found out only later, is that reading and translation, they are like sisters. So I saw in my books, like when, when even my English uh, wasn't very well, I was already trying to, to write down little verses where basically to, to, to give myself the impression that I understood them. So I did like <laughs> translations. And uh, like 25 years ago, by chance, at a prize ceremony, I met John Berger. And by that time, 
I was reading his books since about like 10 years, 15 years. And then he asked me if I would be interested in translating his, uh, his book. At that time, it was, was a play. And then we, uh, we became friends. And, and then I noticed that in my books of John Burgess, where there are often poems in between essays or stories, I always yes. try to, to work on these little poems. So I thought, yeah. okay, this is more generic than I, than I actually remembered at that time. You have spent time with John Berger. What is he like? Well, he was uh, he was one of my was one of my best friends, and uh, I had the uh, for many years we lived in Switzerland, so we were a bit closer to his his place then. And uh, I saw him maybe like once a year, sometimes not even that. But but I was there was a circle of of friends that he he sent his manuscripts to and 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 he asked for all of us to comment on his manuscripts uh, and that was like a happy uh, happy situation to be in this kind of circle so for for many um, books I was like some kind of his uh, his German editor in a way um, and That's so. Amazing. So, so our our um, connection was quite uh, like like uh, he was a bit like a father to me, you know. He was he is like thirty years older, and uh, he's always taking care. He was always taking care of, but also like for the whole family because he's such a he's he's a guy who lives in at that time he lived in a village. And when you live in the village, you want to know everything, you know, the name of the cat and uh, the name of the dog and yeah. if the son city has a new kid. And so he wanted to know everything. So he was, uh, was a presence uh, for each of us. And when my daughter uh, started to think about uh, going to art school, uh, we went over to his place and spent like two days in his garden and we, we did drawings there and we... Uh, he showed her some his kind of uh, technique and in ink, so so it was really uh, a very layered relationship. This was this is this is an unexpected part of the conversation, and it is so heartwarming to hear uh, good things about people who are famous. Because in the current news cycle, I don't know if you keep track of what's happening in America right now. It's uh, it's it's been very disappointing. I'm so happy that. Somebody who is famous and has done well for himself has this kind of warmth, you know, uh, for people around him and for you to have this relationship. That's amazing. Um, so you started with translating John Berger and then you went on to translating Robert Haas. You are doing uh, W.S. Mervyn right now. Um, how, how do you choose your poets to translate? With Robert Haas, it was a very funny thing. Uh, you, you maybe know the uh, Swedish poet Thomas Tranströmer. And I don't. He was, Tell me more. He's a, he became a Nobel Prize winner about like some years ago, and and he had a, I met him like over the summers, and and, um, and he suddenly had a stroke and he was paralyzed on the on one side, so he could only lose lose, for example, his left hand. 
And but he had invited the family uh, to come to his island. And when he had the stroke, we were all very cautious uh, about it. And but then he said he insisted, no, please come. So we went, and he gave us uh, his collected poems in America, done by Echo Press, edited by Robert Haas. And then I was intrigued, and he said, oh, he's a good poet, Robert Haas. Check it out. I checked it out, and then I found, you know, that translating Robert Haas was as close as to translating Thomas Tranströmer as possible, because there are so many connections between the two. So it was like... With John, I met Thomas Tranströmer. Thomas Tranströmer sent me over to Robert Haas. Then with Robert Haas, I developed like a haiku fixation. <laughs> and, and, and a little haiku, the American haiku thing. And, um, and, and then, for example, for the first time that Amazon really helped me was when, you know, in the old time when Amazon was still in Seattle and only hawking books. And I was in Switzerland, and I was ordering all these uh, American translations of, of uh, Japanese, Chinese poems. They, they said to me, people who bought this bought Tales of Murasaki and other poems by <laughs> Martin Allen. She lives close to your place in, in Queens. And, and then, you know, I invited Martin Bellen to come over to a translation seminar in Switzerland. And we became friends. And then, uh, as I said, you know, we, I'm, I'm the co-editor of a literary magazine. And when you have a magazine, you can do what you want. Uh, in, in a publishing house, you're never allowed to do what you that, want. That is such a powerful statement. When you have a magazine, you get to do what you want. That's, that's kind of amazing. Uh, I suppose this podcast is also the same way for me and Brian. When you have a podcast, I suppose you also get to do what you want. It's, <laughs> it's, great, it's great to have a medium. Um, tell us more about the magazine. It's like a, you know, a magazine in, in a publishing house where, of course, we do a lot of things that we want to, but it's a huge structure and you have to yeah. meet many demands. Then suddenly a little magazine can be like an opening. And I started about like maybe 15 years ago to do a regular thing called the Poetry Radar. Mm-hmm. And on this radar, there's every, um, every issue there, about like 20 pages of poetry. And every time I come across something that I really intrigues me i can do this so i did like the like the japanese uh, american concentration camp haikus there's a famous collection mm-hmm. of these poems and and i did like a selection of that or i did uh, for the first time in germany lorraine niedecker um, a nature poet from the this, uh, generation of Zukowski who is incredibly good and incredibly unknown. But also did like Warson Shire, uh, who was yeah. Beyonce in the back, is now uh, a big name. But yes. uh, I, I know her agent, and she gave me her little uh, pamphlets uh, years and years ago. So I had them already on my shelf. And uh, that was just like, like, like fun. And also to see, you know, like these kind of things reconnect with our life, like Watson Shires, there's a, there's a very strong 
sequence about a refugee camp and the yeah. stories that people tell. And uh, our daughter is living in Berlin in a refugee home because her student home was converted into a refugee home. And suddenly, you know, you, 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 you do something which is not like uh, far away at all, but it's very close. And this to do something which is apparently far away, but very close. This is for me always, again, the experience of translation. Because when you when some of the poems by um, Rob, uh, by Mervyn, uh, he wrote them on Hawaii. He wrote them in Southern yeah. France. Or yeah. sometimes you don't know is it New York or elsewhere. But but if you work on them, they're suddenly here on the page. And this is the this is a bit like the the magic of doing translation, suddenly this kind of closeness that, that you experience. It also uh, appears from uh, the way you narrated your career in a way, um, how one thing has led to another. Like you followed your interests and like everything is, you know, now in one place together. Like it all makes sense, but it all came about slowly and with different relationships taking their shape. I, I find that very fascinating. Um, we are so used to planning life that I'm not sure if we leave room for something um, that you have experienced. Do you feel that way? Yeah. I think also it's a bit like, you know, we, we all want to have some kind of like coherence in our lives. Yes. And, and But if you, if you want this coherence so much, and you, you are looking towards it, I think it's very hard to understand what kind of coherence is yours. But yes. if you look back, of course, it's, it's, uh, it's easier to see which could be like the rules to follow. So, you know, now for me, it seems like a net that I've been working on for many years. But, but on the other side... Um, of course, there are many loose ends in this net, you know, things that didn't work out, things yes. that, that were done in vain. Uh, so, Yes, I think, I, I, I think memory is very selective that way, right? Mm. Like we edit, we edit for coherence when we are looking back. And looking forward, I guess, I suppose it's too hard to find it if that's what you're looking for. Uh, William Stanley Morvin, who is our poet for today and in some time uh, whose poem we are going to read, said something very interesting, which was around if you are always looking for security in life, what you actually end up getting is paranoia, even if you have that security that it's almost as if like as people if we are trying to find the thing that we care about, we are, the predicament is that we may not reach there and we may find very much the opposite if we obsess over that. Um, yeah. That, <laughs> uh, a, a little hard to, a little hard to remember that occasionally. Um, so translation, this seems like a thing that has occurred in our earlier episodes as well. Um, what I hear from you is that translation for you is also a way of reading carefully. Like you're reading carefully and in a way you're translating to understand, which is 
I guess what makes a very good translator. I I I I was curious if I was curious what do you lose from a poem or gain in a poem when you translate it from English to German? Um like are is is English more conducive to certain kind of like I don't know rhythm lyrics um is better at a certain kind of poetry versus German is better at a certain different kind of poetry. I don't know. Like, is there a difference like that in the languages that um, is is hard to overcome when you're translating? One of the the, the most uh, trying forces of, of English English language, but especially of English verse, is the is are the vowels so so you you often immediately have a strong music because all the vowels in, in English are very strong, whereas in Germany they are a bit like uh, they don't play the first fiddle they play the second fiddle so mm -hmm. so they, what what sometimes sounds very colorful in English suddenly sounds very mute in German. So th this is one of the one of the problems. The, the other problem is what you lose is this incredibly shortness of English. Like this famous uh, Bob Dylan, busy being born is busy dying. It'll take you three sentences to translate this in Germany because you have, <laughs> to, you have to put every little part of the sentence into a whole subclause. So it's, it's, it's almost as if alongside the words you're also translating the culture. So it's not surprising that it takes three, three more, uh, you know, uh, three sentences. And and we have like, and this is strange because basically the languages, you know, translating from the English, I think is the easiest kind of translation you can do, uh, because like if you, if you translate from Japanese, for example, you have you have a different script, you have a different idea of grammar, you have a different kind of word order. Uh, and here in, in Germany and in, in English, they are quite similar. So, so this, is, this is not such a thing. What, what, what poses another kind of obstacle with Mervyn is that he uses no kind of interpunctation. Yeah. And for Germany, this is cruel because... <laughs> We tend to have like long sentences, and it, it's very important, you know, to get the interpretation right because if not, you know, you're you lose the sense of, of a sentence uh, very easily. So, so this was a bit like uh, it was a bit hard to do, and and uh, that's a reason why why I sometimes um, create another kind of. Uh, rhythm than he does. Uh, Mervyn, he, he can play everything on the same kind of note. And I sometimes have to do a little, uh, um, like, repeat a word to, 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 to make clear what, what, what the pronoun really refers to. Yeah. It's like a, in his poem, there's only one it, and it could mm -hmm. only bother it. But in journey, the it is a he. And then are three other things in the poem who are also <laughs> he. And then you say he, 
and then, oh God, it's complicated. Is it the yeah. science or is it the word or is it the person? And, and then in Germany, you have to decide. You, know? you lose this bit like an like a open quality of his verses because yeah. when you read and it could be the silence, the word, or the person. But in the German translation, you must decide or try to find a trick around deciding, you know, because yeah. it's like, I think that that's, the, that's the two steps of translation. The first step of a translation is to really understand the poem mm -hmm. and, to, and to create like a simulacrum in your own language but without any kind or not so much artistic um, ideas about it. So, so it's more like, we should say, like the, the first step of a translation. But, but then you have to turn it around, the translation, so that the translated text is a German poem, no longer like an English poem half smuggled into your language. With half a lot smuggled. Of Yeah, there's a lot of stuff you're clinging on the pullover, but but it, it, which are the rests of Englishness, but but yeah. but you have to should be like a German poem, and, and that's sometimes a bit difficult. And uh, but but doing this is is a bit like uh, it's not like writing yourself, but it's a bit like it gives you the pleasure to write a poem that you would never be able to write, you know. One, one of very famous Dutch translator of Thomas Brandströmer, um, he's a writer, novelist himself, Bernleif, and they asked him once in a discussion, uh, why, why, why do you translate? You, you should better write a novel. And, and he says, you know, it gives me the pleasure to, to write a poem in my language That's so good. I could never do it on my own. And this is the, the kind of, for example, the big kind of, uh, um, of joy that you have in translating, you know, that, that you're suddenly a part of something. This is, would be beyond your capacities if, if you're writing, if, if you find the right poem, of course, you know. Yeah, uh, I think that makes sense to me. Uh, I, I don't translate, uh, but I read. And um, it is a way of interacting with something that you find beautiful. And I am, I, in, in, from where I stand, translation, I think, is taking that interaction many steps further into... Of, uh, so interacting and getting closer to the thing that you love so much and... I can, I can empathize with that. And that's it for the first episode. Um, this was all about um, Hans and his work and how he sees poetry and how, how the work of translation occupies him. We continue our conversation with Hans in next episode we, where we actually read Mervyn, our poet for this conversation. You are going to love Mervyn. He's tender and his poems very much a reflection of the tenderness he awards to his surroundings. The next episode is also going to be the last one for this season, so go on, listen to it. Hang on, if you're still here, tell us what you think. We want to make this podcast better and more interesting to you, the listener. 
write to us, slide in our DMs, as they say on Twitter. We are at Who Reads Poetry. Until next time. Bye.